0: Hey, Jake here, and uh, we got to pay some bills over here at Three Point Perspective uh, Podcast. So this, uh, this episode is sponsored by svslearn.com. It's an online learning platform we created because we all taught at art schools and realized you could get the same level of education without the enormous price tag. With courses from the three of us and dozens of other published illustrators, SVS Learn is the best way to get an art school education at your own pace and for a fraction of the cost, start your free 30 day trial today at svslearn.com slash three point. What's this from? I thought they smelled bad on
1: the outside. <laughs> That's Han Solo. Yeah. <laughs>
2: nice.
0: You have I that just read an article
2: middle. that said that, um, you know, we're going to need a bigger boat from Jaws. Wasn't mm-hmm. in the script.
0: Yeah, it's ad-libbed, right? Oh.
2: A, that's a pretty famous ad lib.
0: Is it ad lib or is it um is it is it what's it called? Mad lib. When you freestyle? Freestyle, what's the other word? Um when you uh like comedians practice doing this. It's um where they have unscripted um Acapella. You just get a prompt and not a I just my brain just went boop, like we're 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 clear. There's a show called Whose Line It Is? Is it anyway? Yes. Improv, improv. There you go. Yeah, I forgot the word improv. <laughs> and improvisation. Sometimes, I mean, that's. I feel like so much of film today, especially comedy, is like, here's the gist of the scene. Now you guys just go improv it.
2: And they, they, that and way, they can banter it. That's a, probably a better idea. Yeah, it's hard to. And read so a I think
0: you get great results, but then you also just mm-hmm. get like. Like, here we go. They're going to just uh, kind of throw out some stuff and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to wait till the scene's over. I'm going to laugh, but let's go. You know, let's move on to the next one. It's always like, oh, you, you didn't, you're, is it my turn to talk or your turn? Ter- uh, you know, like. <laughs>
2: I don't see how don't actors know. do it. Sometimes I see movies with kids in it and like with a big. Big acting role, big talking part. Like for example, mm-hmm. like the Sixth Sense or something. I just don't mm-hmm. see how they remember the lines. When we were yeah. we're kidding, recording our little podcast or uh, our little commercial, we can't remember Pro, anything. Yeah. I can't remember mm-hmm. two lines.
0: You get good at it. That's, that's why, why we're not actors. I mean, those those. I mean, that's why they're paid the big bucks. Is they can memorize is lines. Is that their
2: skill set. That's why they're getting <laughs> no, 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 forty memorize million lines
0: <laughs> and then deliver them in the way that they're not memorized. Yeah. I can That's do that. Hard.
2: For that for that money, I could do that.
0: Well, would you start doing it for a stink of videos then?
2: Okay, here we go. I'm gonna start reading it as if I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna try to do that in person. Let's see
0: you let's see if you can even do it uh, with the, the intro to our podcast. You make it sound like okay. <laughs> we it's, can't. It's,
2: I'll do it flawlessly. Okay.
1: No. Just, all right. Give me an emotion
2: and I'll act, I'll read my part Here's, with that emotion.
1: Your motivation is um, that you're you're afraid of an argument.
2: That's a weird yeah, one. That's Between good. Three of us.
1: That's a good. I'm one. afraid yeah, of an argument. Yeah, yeah. What, I don't afraid, know what
2: I don't, af- I don't. I don't know what that means.
1: You're afraid of having an argument. You know, you say sometimes we agree, but sometimes we disagree. So you have to say it, it with the bias of are you, why you're you actually are really talk. afraid.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just said that's just such a specific. I'm afraid of an argument. A that okay, never has the happened other in my side. whole life. You so want you
1: that. want to argue. And so that's so, your motivation. Okay, I'll
2: do that. I'll do that's way easier.
0: <laughs> I I want to see uh, you be afraid of, afraid of an argument, but if you are any sort of actor, you might be like a, a typecast, like a, a specific. You know how like you would never yeah, yeah, yeah. cast Danny Trejo to be like anything other than some sort of thug, right? right. <laughs> True. So so maybe that's your that's your little that's your nook is you're like the hothead.
2: Okay. I'm like,
0: uh, sign me up for any hothead part. (laughs) Okay, done. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Three Point Perspective, the podcast about illustration, how to do it, how to make a living at it, and how to make an impact in the world with your art. I'm Jake Parker.
2: Lee White here.
1: (laughs) And I'm Will Terry. (laughs) And all three of us are professional illustrators. We've all illustrated for all the major publications in the business. We've all taught art at universities, and together we publish somewhere around 75 children's books.
2: That's right. Each week we come at you guys with different listener questions. I answer them correctly. Will and Jake, stupid.
1: Dumb answers. <laughs> Never answer
2: them correctly. But you can listen to their point of view if you want to hear something that's wrong. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> perfect. Pretty good. That was perfect. Perfect. <laughs>
0: Each Are time, learn from each
2: week from me, you're going to learn something brand spanking new.
0: <laughs> and I do mean spanking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like you automatically go to the, like this New Yorkish type. Yeah. <laughs>
0: the Brooks or whatever. All right. <laughs> hey, guys. So uh, I wanted to let you know that I recently, have you ever had this, had the rights revert back to you for something that you made with the publisher?
2: couple books. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. And what, what'd you do with those rights once you had them? I have them tucked away. Hey, I juggle, I juggle them.
2: <laughs> you every juggle now and them? Again.
1: <laughs> what was the situation in which you do got those rights back? Like what happened?
2: It goes out or, of print.
1: Yeah. The book mm-hmm. goes out of print and it's like, you can, you can now do anything you want with it. And I, if I wanted to, I could publish that book that stopped selling again. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> And, and same with you, Lee
1: White.
2: That's right.
0: Um, what, 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 can I ask what books
1: they were for?
2: Um, if you if
0: you recall,
1: mine one of mine is the Treasure of Ghostwood Gully. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't remember and, which ones mine are. Uh, Rooster the Bruce, Brewster the Rooster was one mm-hmm. that I did a while back for Sleeping Bear Press Press. Um, Stop that nose about a guy who whose nose he sneezes and his nose pops off and then he's running. The kid's trying to catch him kind of like the gingerbread man, except for mm-hmm. during this ad- adventure, the nose is sneezing out animals. It was quite an odd it's a very odd book.
0: yeah, it's interesting. So the reason I asked is i I recently got um, I recently got the rights back for my second missile Mouse book. So the first missile bounce book still in print, still sells a reasonable amount every year. Um, the second book for whatever reason um, didn't didn't hit the numbers, and and they never went back to reprint it. And um, and so we asked, we like, hey, is this, are you ever going to reprint this thing? No, it's just not it's not where it's at. So we actually put in a request to get the rights back for it. And so what my plan is now is to break it up into, it's, so it's a 170-page graphic novel, um, break it up into like single issues. So mm-hmm. issue one, issue two, issue three, little chapters, um, and put post them on my website as sort of like a digital download um, so that people who... Right now, if you want to get that book, you have to either buy it on eBay or buy it use a used copy on Amazon. They're they're available used, but there's you can't get a, a new one. Um, but this is a character that I still want to continue to tell stories with. And the current project that I'm working on right now has Missile Mouse show up as a not even a cameo. He's more of like a. A main character in this in this plot. Not the main character, but a main character in this plot. And so I'm thinking, I'm still doing something with this character. I've got a 175-page graphic novel with this character, so how about, um, how about I still have something that when people want more, they can go online and read this character. Maybe I make a PDF that's sellable. Maybe it's like free is like a web comic i don't know i'm not there yet but i just thought it's it's, it's an option that that i have if if uh if i want to do it i'm, I'm mm-hmm. curious what you guys think if that's a good move or should i just leave it alone and and
1: let it what is your audience telling you have you done any like probing out there you know like yeah every time i
0: draw missile mouse i get people that are like oh missile mouse i love that book when i was a kid this is so cool i'm glad you're drawing him again so and it's the, like the
2: reason it revert it reverted back to you was because it went out of print with the publisher, right?
0: Uh it's because I specifically requested. Oh, oh I oh. requested it and they granted it. Otherwise they would have just held on to the rights.
2: I uh, why not do a um a digital version only? That way your costs are low and then you can mm-hmm. satisfy that need. You can see if that need is if it's a lot, then you can say, hey, we're gonna do the print version. So kind of test run it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know that I'll ever. Yeah, I mean, maybe I might. I might reprint it, but I think I just want to keep it digital. Oh, if it's
2: digital, stuff. then why not do it? I mean, there's there's no reason not to. There's no cost, and okay. you give people what they want.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you write and write a new story: the death of Di- of Missile Mouse, the death of Missile Mouse. Right?
0: I mean, we're not there yet, but I, I think am, if you're, I, if, you're then, gonna
2: re- if you're going to release it digitally, you need to add probably something to it that's not in the print book.
0: So, mm-hmm, like maybe right. an
2: alternate ending or or. Yeah. A, you know, a couple of different plot points that are different to give people a reason to come to this. this that's property.
1: Cool. Yeah, he dies saving the world. Cut. It's that's good because there's. Go ahead, Will. You you got to give them something new to so where they have to go back and get the first ones. You know, that to get yeah. up to speed.
0: I think that's a good idea. I could go back in. There's actually a section there where I, reading back on it now, I didn't explain something clear enough. Um, a, a, just a tiny plot point where I, I want to go in and expand that a little bit more. So it could, you know, maybe add five or 10 pages to it. That might be good. And then I have planned for, there's a, a, two characters in this book that I have a story planned where I want to bring them back. One you think is dead and the other one, or both of them you think are dead, but I've got a way to to kind of resurrect them. So hmm. anyway, adventures cool. in self-publishing but
1: this is one of the one of the neat things about working on your own projects mm-hmm. is that yeah. you know you these 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 properties are valuable they have they have a value right yeah and when you only work for someone else then they own they own the product right that's so, right
0: yeah when you're just to work for hire yeah you know a, a gun for hire but Sometimes there's some some battles you gotta fight on your own, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. All right, we got a few questions today. Let's let's jump right into them. How's All that right. sound?
1: These are some good speaking ones. Of, what's that? These are some good ones. Yeah.
0: yeah. So speaking of creating your own properties, this comes from Mariah. Publication, animation, and games. Oh my! Hey guys, can't tell you enough out about. I can't tell you enough how helpful your podcast has been since I've started listening. Super insightful with a bit of entertainment. It's great. I think that we owe Lee to that little bit there of entertainment. I'm shrill. <laughs> uh, so she says she's currently back in school to pursue a degree in digital art and animation. And so far, she thinks her focus is concept art and design. But that could change i notice you guys often talk about story concepts and making sure the illustrations accurately depict that story or support the narrative so my question is how can you tell the story concept you have would be best for books publication film animation or for video games a story could be super cool but if executed one way over another it could turn into a big flop or make it successful are there questions you ask yourself while storyboarding do these answers push you one way or another? What is something to keep in mind while creating a story or concept art or illustrations that can help to decide which route would be best? Thanks again for the tips, tricks, and advice. I look forward to your answer and future episodes. What do you guys think? I've got some ideas here, but I'm curious what, what y'all think too.
2: I, 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 I don't me. know. This seems like a, like a, a student level question to me. And I don't mean that as an, as an insult, a lot of times, like I'll be talking to students and ask what they want to do and they say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to make my own video game, which mm-hmm. is, that's a great thing to want to do, especially as a student. But then when you actually start getting practical about how, okay, how much money do you have? How much, how big is your team? It those questions fall a little flat, right? And so, yeah. um, that that's what I would say here. It's like, what's my resources? I mean, like for me, if I'm if I'm storyboarding a con uh, or you know I got a concept, I start storyboarding it out. I think, you know, I'm gonna make this a feature film, and then all of a sudden, the reality of I, I don't know anything about that. I don't have anybody in that industry that I know. Um, so it kind of it's self limiting. I know how to do mm-hmm. books, maybe, and then so I start thinking, what kind of book is it? Because that's sort of my wheelhouse. But mm-hmm. my question to you guys is, do you open? Am I self limiting? There by not saying, "Hey, this is going to be a this would be a great feature film, two hour movie." What's the likelihood of that happening?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Okay. I, I think this is more of a general story question, but but I see what you're saying as well. Like, um, you know,
0: if if you're a student and you're thinking, "Okay, I'm I'm creating a property, should it be a video game or should it be a film?" You're kind of putting the cart before the horse, like you at, at this yeah. stage you should be thinking what can I accomplish you know with the, the research resources that I have the time that I have that can make the most impact The and, connections and
2: it, all of it yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: that makes sense what were you going to say well
1: well I'm I when I read when I read this I I went the story route you know because it's like <laughs> she's she's saying you know a story can be super cool executed one way or another um and then talking about um, storyboarding, and the answers push you one way or another. Something to keep in mind while creating a story or concept um, to decide which route would be best. Did you guys read that as which route to be best would be going film animation or game, or is that what you're reading into it?
0: I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I what I'm reading into it. What I'm thinking is, um, I'm and there's two levels here. Number one, the story route that wills taking and i like lee's thing like what what can you actually create at the level that you're at but number one if your story is and i haven't played a ton of video games so so take this with a grain of salt but i feel like if your story is more about um more about the world building and experiencing a world and um and stopping something big from happening and you are a, a singular character that can go through and, and stop that one or, or retrieve something or, you know, um, I, I either like stopping a bad guy or retrieving something and returning something. Those I feel like are, are concepts that work really well for video games because it gives your character like um, reasons to level up, a need to level up um it gives them like small little quests that kind of kind of lead to solving the overall big quest. But really, I feel like video games are all about like problem solving and creative, mm-hmm. you know, not not necessarily creative problem solving, but putting a character in situations where they have to where they have to solve certain problems or, or uh, um, figure out a riddle or things like that. OK, um, film. The difference between a story that's good for film and a story that's good for books is going, going to be um, a, a film is, a, is typically a character who has a life-changing experience. And there was before this experience happened, and then there's after this experience happened. And you want to show the people how this character was changed in that in that story. And it's usually something that can be told in 90 minutes. Right. So, mm-hmm. and, and that's the difference between like a film and like a TV show. So could you tell breaking bad in 90 minutes? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> the amount no of change way. that that character goes through hmm. could only be told through six seasons of mm-hmm. TV. Right. So, so Yes, that character goes through a life altering altering change, but it happens over the course of years, and we'll give an example of um, of like sort of any Disney movie. So let's go to like um, uh, Tangled, right? So Tangled is about this girl who um, is trapped in a tower, and she needs to figure out how to like get out from under her mother and and live her life openly and freely and and get through the anxiety that she has of like disobeying her mother cuz she's been through all this like emotional uh, manipulation and trauma right and so it's something that can happen within the space of a week you know or a couple of days and that works really good for like a 90 minute movie or 90 minute story so that's what i think we're you know look at star wars star wars is about a kid Born on Tatooine, you know, this desert planet who gets sort of recruited into this army, this like rebel force, and they go to destroy the big weapon. You know, they didn't defeat the entire empire. They didn't save the the universe. They just destroyed one big weapon. It's a single mission. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that is that is a, a 90 minute movie. Um, four seasons of TV, five seasons of TV is usually like we are meeting all different kinds of characters we're going and following um little backstories for each of these characters there's characters that go from good to bad and bad to good and the whole time we're trying to take down something much bigger much larger or tackle some problem that's bigger and larger right okay so now you have books what what was the should it be publishing books or graphic novels
1: or video games
0: Film animation, books, publication. So I think when you have like a a book, like a graphic novel, a single graphic novel is more like a film. And like a book series like Harry Potter, you know, with like multiple chapters, or not chapters, but multiple um, 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 deposits of stories, you know, book one, book two, book three, whatever. Those are going to be like... Solving a bigger, more complex problem. Hmm. Okay, so that's that's the difference between what story goes well with what type of um, you know type of medium you want to tell it with. You can definitely and- see
2: it when it's sorry. You can definitely see it when that doesn't work. Like for example, The Polar Express as a book, almost perfect as a book. When um, mm-hmm. the Caldecott, obviously, <laughs> and, and they try
1: it- to stretch it out to a movie and <laughs> it's Man, horrible. It,
2: you know, if you're watching an animated show. And all the, and there's a lot of chase scenes and sequences where the train comes off the tracks and they're trying to ramp it up. And you're just like, what is mm-hmm. happening? They're, they're not moving the story forward. There's mm-hmm. just stuff happening. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're doing. I actually right. got to see, this is a little tidbit. I got to see the concept art for the Polar Express movie before the movie came out. And even there at the studio, they're like, we're just trying to make stuff.
0: <laughs> how do we spread this
2: out <laughs> and, and they got doug chang from speaking of star wars from yeah. to do the concept art room. So, one of the
1: reasons why children's books don't often become motion pictures is because there's just not enough story. it's
2: tough it's tough but they mm-hmm. but and you know they, they and they have to they have to add so much filler sometimes it works like jumanji mm-hmm. did work mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but polish best didn't and so i don't know just a, it's yeah. just, it, it just depends on how big the moment is. Can you fill it with enough interesting stuff? That's the beauty of a children's book is it can be a very small moment mm-hmm. spread out over 32 pages. The other um, areas that you're mentioning there don't have that ability to tell a small kind of almost uh, uh, personal moment mm-hmm. that's not this grand thing. Those other things, you know, movies and video game stuff need to almost be more grand in right. scale to support the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So here's, here's my advice to you it, as any level of creator who hasn't been, uh, who hasn't transitioned into pro yet, who hasn't been like gotten the book deal or gotten the video game made or something like that. Uh, whether you're a student or whether you're like, you know, in your forties and you're like, I got to change something. I got to make the thing I've been dreaming about. Here's my advice. And I'm sure you guys will back me up on this. Um, Make the smallest, shortest, simplest version of the thing that you can make, that you can accomplish in a quarter, like in the next three months. Okay. So if you're a a writer, write a short story. And it can be this character that you, you know, it could be Harry Potter, right? Like you've got this Harry Potter epic thing that you want to do. Write a short story with that main character. Where they just go, they're faced with a problem and they solve it creatively. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it's a video game that you wanna make, make like this, just make a level. <laughs> you know the coding, you know the art, or maybe you know you can get the, the team together. Make just one level to, to kind of figure out how to do that whole process, right? Um, if you're trying to pitch an idea for a video game, as far as my understanding of the video game landscape is, every um major video game maker they've got ideas for days and they've got like a hundred people in line at in those studios with ideas so if they Mm -hmm. need an idea for a new video game we're like we just finished halo we want our next big thing or we just finished um You know, Red Dead Redemption. What are we gonna do now? They're gonna go ask their art directors. They're gonna ask the guy that directed the, you know, that created the last thing. Hey, what's your next idea for? They're not gonna go outside, and ask, you know, and receive like open pitches. Um, Smaller studios probably the same thing if you want to sort of get in on that you might want to try getting a job at a smaller studio and and working your way in there and then saying here's my idea for a video game or you got to make your own team you got to put your own team together to make it s- sort of indie right so that's the video game landscape and then um, with the uh, comics uh, or, or um, oh, we let's see we did publishing same with comics make a short comic story don't say I'm gonna write a, a full graphic novel see what you can do in 20 pages, 20 pages, um, 22 pages, 30 pages, something like that is enough work to make you realize whether or not you're good at this. You like it. (laughs) You like doing it. Um, You're going to learn everything you need to learn in those 20 pages about storytelling, but also about production, about lettering, about pacing, character development, all that stuff. And then lastly, like film, television, that kind of thing, make a short film you know, make a, write just the script, write a script for a short film, start out small, make these smaller things first, and then get good at it. I can think of, you think of anybody successful who's really at the top of their game, doing things uh, in, in any of these levels, and they started out making short films. They started out making short comics. They started out making, you know, tiny like one level games that's where they started you, that's how you learn the ropes and then you you move you move up from mm-hmm. there so but I the, the a
2: cautionary tale because i know yeah. there's some people listening who haven't done this stuff professionally yet and they're thinking these guys are saying this but my story is the one <laughs> That's going to get through once they hear it. I understand. I sort of thought that the same way. I'm going to go to New York. I'm just going to pitch a story. I'm going to be a published author. And it's going to be easy. And then <laughs> the reality sort of comes into play. I was teaching a, um, a senior level portfolio class in Portland. And I, I had a bunch of different majors that I that I taught. Illustrators, um, some graphic designers, but a lot of video game people and a lot of animation people. That was the kind of the main, video games and animation. And um, there's this one kid who was good. Um, at modeling and stuff. Um, but he wanted to, I I can't remember now it's been a while if he wanted to either make his own video game or his own movie. But I, so it's one of those two things. I can't remember which one it was, but he, and he had one thing on his reel, like uh, that we, throughout the semester, we'd look at the reels and, and the portfolios and, uh, and, you know, work on them the whole term. He had one thing on his reel and it was this character coming up out of the floor. It is this beastly kind of robotic kind of almost transformer looking to kind of character. And it was just done in full cinematic glory, music and lighting and everything. And, he was saying i'm going to i'm going to have my own game i'm going to have my own movie i can't remember which one but one of those big things and we we're like you know the biggest the biggest employer of my school was this company called liquid and they hire uh, a lot of the artists just to make assets like you're going to make this uh, toaster for the background of a video game mm-hmm. and the skill set there was can you do it with make a nice looking toaster with a low amount of information low yeah. polygon modeling, low poly modeling, yeah. And so that was one of the skill sets. Like we're looking for people who are good, who can make these things simple so they don't clog up our game. That was the skill mm-hmm. set that they were looking for. And so everybody, not just me, but the other instructors who teach modeling and everything were saying, Hey, you got a great, you got a great start to this reel. Please add some low poly modeling to it. And please, you know, like you, may, maybe you'll get a game and maybe you'll get a movie, but if you don't, let's put 10 more things on your reel that show you can model a tank in an in, mm-hmm. in fe- efficient way. Um, and he's like, nope, he was just steadfast in it. And then comes time to graduate. He's got this one thing on there and it looked great. And then, you know, I'm teaching the class the next semester. It's like towards the end of the next semester, or maybe even a, a year has almost gone by. And he comes into my class, my senior portfolio class, and he's crying. Mm-hmm. He got mm. nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And and he's like, I just, there was no starting point that nobody wanted this million poly (laughs) demo reel that is Mm -hmm. unusable. Like it would be Mm -hmm. the opening credits for Lord of the Rings. Well, you're not getting that job. Mm -hmm. And he was devastated. It was, he was crestfallen because he had written this whole universe. And made mm-hmm. this thing, and um, and then he's like, "What do I do?" And I was like, "Well, let's start back at what we talked about when you were in class. Let's yeah. make the things that we can make now. Hope for the you know hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Plan for the small thing, mm-hmm. like Jake saying. Of course, you want to make your own game or movie or book or whatever, and you shouldn't not have that as a goal. But pad the work <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for the That's for the most logical starting point.
1: I had yeah. a, I have a brother in law who who wanted to be a coach, but he didn't have a job. He lived in his parents' basement and, uh, he, but he wanted to be a life coach, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and, okay. and I could go on and on about all the, like he, he would be the model of like how not to run your life, but he knew <laughs> how to tell other people how to live, you know? <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I was going to say along with this, I I realized she wasn't really asking about story, but that we were talking about this earlier before we started the podcast about good stories and Mm -hmm. bad stories and good story elements and things that take us out of the story. And for me, things that take me out of the story are things that are just not believable on how humans interact with each other and how humans behave, you know. Um, and when you have things like that, we had an illustration in, the other day that came through in um, Critique Arena that was done so well. It was so well executed. But to me, the story fell apart. It was the one with the lion or the tiger behind the kid. Mm. And the, the, so you, I'll try to describe it. You're seeing, you're seeing um, the farthest character back is a huge lion. Yeah. And then, in front of the lion is a kid with his back to the lion, who doesn't know the lion's there, scaring some other characters in the foreground—goblins some or something yeah. away. Yeah. And okay. um, the the idea is that uh, the kid thinks that he's scaring the the goblins away, but it was really the the huge tiger that they're they're seeing that's okay. behind him. Yeah. But it when I look at it, I I can't I can't for the life of me figure out how the kid doesn't know that this huge lion is behind him. There's no, he didn't. There's nothing that he crept up, you know. Because the
0: lion is drawn in, or the tiger is drawn in such a way that that he's like
1: turning around, looking behind. Yeah.
0: Right. Like, so it it just it didn't you're right. creep
1: up. It didn't creep up. It's just already there. Right. And uh, like,
0: how did this kid not <laughs> know there so, was a tiger there?
1: So all of us have this um, when we watch shows. We have this meter where we're like going along, and then we're like, "Well, that would never happen." right yeah. mm-hmm. and it takes you right out of the story and another you thing you can't we were get talking back about, in
2: either sometimes i mean yeah we were, were talking to,
1: we were talking about the gun standoffs that they have in just about every show <laughs> hollywood's in love with And, mm-hmm. and like in real life two people pull guns on each other somebody's getting shot you pull a gun on police they're going to shoot you mm-hmm. you and to me and and this just might be a me thing when I see that, I'm just like it's just unrealistic that we're having this casual conversation, and we have guns pointed at each other, you know mm-hmm. so when when you're when you're designing a story you you have to be good at at asking yourself those things like is this is this believable um enough to where my viewer is going to accept this?" And and it's not going to stick. I can
2: add one little thing to that too. If you do have something that's going to be way off the wall and maybe question believability, the other people in the scene need to react that way.
1: If you guys watched Mm -hmm.
2: the new Ghostbusters movie, it was going fine for about 20 or 30 minutes. (laughs) Then these kids see a real, a ghost, like in full clarity, not just like a shadow or something, but like a full, you know, specter flying above them. Uh And there's like, oh okay, well let's go over here. Like, like they didn't even, it <laughs> uh-huh. wasn't even a thing right. and no, nobody in the whole story was reacting to these ghosts in a way that if the ghost came out in that kind of clarity, you would be f- absolutely floored. You right. know what I mean? Like you couldn't get off off the floor Right. and they, they were just behaving like this is everyday stuff. And right. then yet they had never seen it before. So I don't know. You just got to think log- logically with that.
0: But can you, you got to know when you sit down to watch a movie that you have to suspend your belief for for certain things Think, some of like, us are need, better than
1: that than others do you right, need a right.
0: like well if at the beginning of of the next action movie you go to it says mm-hmm. in this universe um people don't automatically shoot each other there is <laughs> there is uh, this tension that happens when a gun is born, <clears throat> where triggers aren't aren't, you know, automatically pulled, that there's going to be yeah. talking. And that's how things work in this universe. Yeah. If you went into that movie after reading that, would you be able to enjoy it better?
1: I wouldn't have gone in. I would have read the reviews.
2: <laughs> yeah, but also the ghost thing. Like, why, why not? You can suspend belief. Like, okay, there's ghosts in this world. I believe in Ghostbusters. It's going to be ghosts. I'm going in, not going, oh, there's no ghosts. That ghost is stupid. But the other <laughs> characters, if you're setting it up as the first time they're seeing a ghost and ghosts aren't a normal thing in this universe, right. They need to react appropriately. Yeah.
0: But it, I haven't seen Ghostbusters 4. Is this what it is? Ghostbusters 4? The new one, I haven't, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it. But this is oh. a universe where New York City was openly, like, raided by ghosts. So these are kids who grew up, kind of like kids now grow up knowing that airplanes can crash into buildings. But and they don't believe it, though. It. It's,
2: it's sort they're of like urban legend it. in the in the story. It's these not, not a known thing.
1: Okay, it's an urban legend. Jake is a story apologist because he writes stories, fantastical stories, and he wants to Jake be forgiven to be for good. his future He, he sins. likes the
2: new Boba Fett. Let's just put it that way. Just leave it alone.
1: <laughs> it all comes back to Boba Fett.
0: It all comes back. Okay, right, next question. Note, I mean,
2: we, we destroyed that question. I don't know if we even answered what she was asking. We were all over the place. We, we get
0: picked, You know what? We We dissected that question. Then we put it back together into some sort of Frankenstein, and then mm-hmm. dissected that again. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now there's just like <laughs> this pulp. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's move on to the next the question ground. as quick as we can.
0: Okay, Asia says file woes. I'm a tech greenhorn. Hey guys, love the podcast. Been listening for a couple of years now, as well as taking classes at SVS. We love the the our SVSers. What do we call them? Our rabbits. 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 Yes, I have seen myself grown artistically. Thank you. Um, Okay, she also, um, well, here she goes. My question resolves around the fact that I know close to nothing about computers and I'm only a year into discovering the wonderful wonderful world of digital illustration. I'm an aspiring author-illustrator. I love writing as much as I love illustrating. So when an agent or an editor or art director asks for a book dummy, what type of file does it need to be, JPEG or PDF? Let's just stop right there. Mm-hmm. What does it need to be for a book dummy, JPEG or PDF? PDF. Okay, why is that?
1: It's universal, and uh, they can just open it and, and view it in sequence. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what explain, I said. That explain the be... difference between uh, well, so, a folder uh,
0: of JPEGs and a yeah,
1: PDF. A, f- a folder of JPEGs is a folder of individual files. That yeah, you, computers are set up to different um, you know PCs or or Macs are set up to um, or even on your phone to. View them in sequence if you number them like one through twenty or whatever. But um, I don't know. The PDF gives you more options in viewing.
0: I want you to think of PDF.
1: Yeah, essentially PDF.
0: Like, let's go back to the analog. Imagine handing your um, your agent a stack of papers, and they're not clamped together, they're not stapled, and you could hand it to them and they could easily get out of order or you could lose one or whatever. A PDF, all it does is it's the stapler in the corner of those sheets of papers. (laughs) And it keeps them all together so that when you pass that file along, you're passing along one file with multiple sheets in it as opposed to here's this JPEG one, here's JPEG two, here's JPEG three. So that's why you wanna do PDF. Mm -hmm. If it's multiple files, if it's one single image, do a JPEG, Okay? okay? Um, how big should it be visually? You probably want it try to keep your PDFs in a ten megabyte or yeah, ten megabyte range. Mm-hmm. I would say unless it's you know a massive amount of images. What
1: DPI do you guys use in yours? If you're sending a book, it's
2: three hundred in the in the building of it. I mean, this is why I'm gonna recommend people use InDesign. It is such a <laughs> controllable yeah. program. For the output only, I I mean, I I like it for a a host of other reasons, ton of other reasons, but the output is so difficult. If you're building a PDF in, in, in Acrobat or any of these other programs, sometimes these, they, they come out, you do a 32 page book and even, even do it, try to do it low res. It's still, it still comes out really big, 40, 50, 60 megabytes. Um, whereas mm-hmm. in InDesign, you can you can export it and get it down to like five five megabytes, and sometimes publishers will have that as the submission got uh, max five to seven mm-hmm. megabytes. Mm-hmm. So you just got to be careful, and it's t- it's uh, it's harder than you think to get that to work. Now Adobe does have an online um, PDF smusher; <laughs> they reduce file size, and mm-hmm. I use that sometimes. Um, Do you use Bridge? Well. I haven't used Bridge. Okay. No, can you control output either. there?
1: Yeah, that's Adobe Bridge. That's um, I mean, you have all the control in that, but is that it's, how it's, you make your PDFs? I don't because it's complicated. I used to. Uh huh. So I, now I just use Acrobat.
0: Okay, and you can get your PDFs down to the right size mm-hmm. with Acrobat. But
1: I have less control. Mm-hmm. But it's just quicker. Yeah. Um,
0: I tell you, I'm, I'm with I'm an InDesigner with Lee. I'm I'm in that camp and. I was so afraid of InDesign for years and I was like that is you know rarefied knowledge that is you know a graphic designer who's gone through the classes they can go do InDesign <laughs> and then one day I got I was doing a project and I'm like I, I have to keep the uh, the overhead as low as possible on this book on this self-published product that I can't I can either lose all my profits paying someone to, put the book together in InDesign, or I can go through online YouTube and go through all the tutorials on how to use InDesign and figure out how to do it on my own. And I went and sat through that. And I, I essentially gave myself like a week where it's like, this is InDesign week where I'm going to figure out this stupid program. And and you go through those tutorials one by one. Um, and it, it really is a, a, a an easy to use tool once you figure out what the buttons are and just how it works. And I think with one of us sitting with you, Will, I know you're, you're nearing the end of your career
1: <laughs> in your life. So uh, <laughs> you cannot teach me InDesign. It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> we would be
0: happy. You, you say the word and I'll sit with you and, and show you InDesign. It's like Anyways. 15
2: minutes. So for the way that we use it, it's, yeah. 15, 20 minutes, maybe up to an hour total, to get it in there and and mm-hmm. get it back out as a p as a pretty PDF. But it's powerful. And then you can
0: you can call the Jake hotline anytime you want. There's you there's only that.
1: so many things you can pack into your brain <laughs> in a lifetime.
2: I, I just don't that. have room
0: for Looks that. Will's like I'm that's... learning pickleball right now. That's all mm-hmm. my brain can handle. Mm-hmm. Are you learning
2: pickleball?
1: <laughs> Last night I beat the guy who beat me when I first started, like really bad. Oh, now you're the master. Well, there's these. Uh, I don't want to go off and do a tangent. Yeah, there's that these. You, you the can look or... like you're. You can actually look <laughs> like on, you're bro, not even. Tell that story. <laughs> you can look like you're not even playing, <laughs> and you can you can make the other players miserable. You know what Dude, I mean? That's, like, the, that's yeah.
2: you at, at racquetball. Uh, it is, but so I'm I'm learning of-
1: how to do that in pickleball now, and it's wonderful. Oh, <laughs> yeah. There's misdirection.
0: I love seeing those videos of like the master at like ping pong and the mm-hmm. novice oh yeah or even the mid mid-tier guy and then the master's there, just
1: boom, chopping them back boom.
0: yep yeah. just never takes a step and the other person just running the, no, back they're also forth.
1: they're also doing exhibitions there that's an exhibition
0: oh it's like the globe trotters mm-hmm. that's funny mm-hmm. all right,
2: uh, i i got one question i know we're i know we do we have another question in here we do um but yeah we haven't even clarify. finished this question oh we didn't
1: no God, let's, we're let's, talking let's, about files been, some more
2: Listen, we're in you the weeds a little bit. Pinch but yourself so you don't veer the, off. The, the road next if part you're of the driving. question
1: is, and why does why does Lee go off onto pointless tangents <laughs> like pickleball. all the time?
0: <laughs> okay, going back to book dummies, um, she asks: Should it be uh, ba- should the whole thing be done in basic sketches before submitting? And what size should I be working in to provide a recent or to provide a decent dummy? Or could all this vary by the individual I'm submitting to? And there is no set answer. So essentially, how do you submit a book dummy? I want you guys to know in Children's Book Pro, uh, it's too late to get into it this round. But the next time we we launch Children's Book Pro, you should get in there if this is like something you really want to learn. Because we go in deep on book dummies, how to make them um how to you know how to put them together on the back end how to, like the whole technical side of it what do you deliver to a publisher and how to make an impact in the world with your book dummy so <laughs> <laughs> nice. so i would i would check that out but short answer here uh i would say when you're submitting to a publisher you're going to want a couple of finished illustrations so they know what what they're getting and then the book dummy doesn't need to be very polished it just needs to be like um, understandable like n- there's, there shouldn't be any anything obscure in the storytelling like they should be able to tell who the characters are where they are and what's going on but
1: it doesn't have to be like finished and polished mm. Um. okay well I have another part of this thing here okay so I'm going to ask a question as if, as if I'm a student and I actually don't know the answer to this okay so I want to get you guys take I know that I do know that there's software out there that can make a book um, flip p- pages, right to where you mm-hmm. you're like with your mouse or with your finger you can actually flip through and, mm-hmm. and it like even makes a clicking sound like a page flip you know mm-hmm. Do you one, do you know of software that could be used to make a book dummy doing that? And two, do, is there any value in doing that over a PDF? Because and the reason I'm asking is because when you flip through a PDF, you're seeing spread. Mm-hmm. Spread, spread. You're not getting to see the critical part of the story, which is, some, I mean, some picture books rely on page turns to as part of the element of the story, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're, like you're hanging on a word. Like, that's good. No, that's bad. This is a book from Marjorie Kyler, right? Um, That's good. No, that's bad. And then you turn the page because... This, this, the, you know, this yeah. other thing happened. It leaves you Absolutely. hanging on every page turn. What do you guys think?
0: I don't think you, you want to fiddle around with that because the people you're submitting it to, they know the drill. They know yeah. about page turns. They know about reveals. Yeah. And typically when they're reading through a, a PDF, I think they're doing the, the clicking through next, next. So they only see one spread at a time. Mm-hmm.
1: That's kind of yeah, what I was thinking, too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a uh, good question.
0: Good question. What was your thing, Lee, you wanted uh, to I wanted throw to, I here? I just wanted
2: to follow up there it was on, on our um, forum. You guys can check in on our forum, by the way. We have a, uh, a topic for each one of these podcasts. And there was a, a question yesterday um, about our most recent podcast that came out. Um, so you guys are going to hear this a month or two later or whatever, so it might not be in order. But the question was about... Um, the series of videos that Will made and we were we had the whole podcast about, about that. Do we recommend or do we not recommend people take a flat fee for self-published if you're going to work with a self-published author there was some confusion about our take on a flat fee versus an advanced setup. What, what is our stance there?
0: What is it? You tell me. <laughs> My take
2: is <laughs> I don't think you should ever take a flat fee unless it is a massive amount of money. Mm. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, so that kind of leans everything towards an advance, which is a typical model in publishing, but I would assume both with self published authors and with publishers that the advance that you get is the last money you're going to see. Now we all hope that a book sells Mm -hmm. amazing and it goes into royalties with a publisher. I've got a little more hope there because I know they have distribution. I know mm-hmm. they have advertising. Mm-hmm. If it hits, it hits, and they've got them there. They have the, um, mechanism for tracking mm-hmm. it for getting more books to, into libraries and and bookstores and it can happen that my question with self-published authors uh, and working with them is do they even have a tracking system for how many that no. they've sold and and, and 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 a distribution chain and and transportation if they do have bookstores how this how's the books going to get there they just mm-hmm. don't have all this planned out and so the idea that a self-published author is going to go into a royalty situation and make mm-hmm. enough money I just don't have faith there. So get as much as you can on the front end. Negotiate a royalty too, 5% of each thing sold. I would never anticipate getting it from a self-published author.
1: I I wouldn't even, I wouldn't make that part of, I think the author gains, gains more in even having a royalty deal than you. How do I say this? It's, it's something like you said, that's never going to happen. So it shouldn't be part of the negotiation. And in fact, the illustrator should say, say, look, the chances of of you selling enough books is so low for me to get a royalty. I want to take that off the table and just focus on the flat fee.
0: You could probably make more money by taking that off the table. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know, in lieu of a royalty... Uh, and and this is for your benefit as well, author. You never have to hear from me again. Yeah. After this, let <laughs> after me this. let me
1: let me even tell you a story where I was wrong. You are going to love this, Lee. I was wrong, and I benefited from from being wrong. <laughs> mm. okay. So so I I did the thirteen thirteen dead end drive game with Hasbro, mm-hmm. and um. Uh, and uh, so I wanted to get a a royalty, right? Absolutely. And they they said we don't do royalties anymore. And this was this went through my rep. And so I kept telling my rep, look, they we got to get a royalty, you know. We kept pushing for a royalty, pushing for a royalty. The job was um, the job paid. Initially, was we were offered twenty thousand dollars for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I held out. So long, and and tried so hard to get a royalty that they finally offered almost forty thousand dollars, was like thirty eight five, and they're like, "Look, this is all we can offer."
0: Instead of a royalty.
1: Instead of a royalty, right? Wow. Okay. And and um, so the game was produced, did all the art, it looked great, it was in all the WalMarts. I could yeah. go in Walmart and see it there. Pulled after a year, it it, <laughs> it, it, it flopped. So, so, so I was completely wrong in, if I had gotten the royalty, if they said, okay, (laughs) I even, I even offered to take less money and get a royalty. I said, we'll go down to 15,000 plus a royalty. So instead of 15,000 and zero royalties, I got 38,500. I mean, my my rep got her cut, but, but. um, What'd
0: your rep say after that?
1: Oh, I mean, we, you know, live and learn. We. Mm-hmm. That's that was Joanne Shuna, If she's listening, um, she's a great rep. But um, so so, what do you do now? Well, I I think the the royalty is definitely a protection for for the illustrator. Mm-hmm. You know, it's protection that you don't you know put your blood, sweat, and tears into something and see someone making millions of dollars off of it, and you got virtually nothing. Right. You know. So so, it's protection in that way. Um, I just think that you're rightly that with if you're dealing with a tiny publisher or a um, an an individual, the chances of getting them selling enough units for you to eventually earn off the advance and then start making royalties is really low. Because if you guys know how that works in a nutshell, you, you, you get paid in advance, but they have to sell enough books for for them to calculate your percentage to earn mm-hmm. back that royalty before you make a dollar in royalty. Mm-hmm. So if you got $10,000 and you, and the, let's say your royalty, royalty was a dollar per unit. They'd have to sell 10,000 units for you to then make one more dollar. And uh, it, it, most books don't, even through big publishers, most books don't get into royalties. So,
0: so, so here's something you could do. Um, like run this script when a, someone, a self publisher comes to you and says, Hey, you're perfect for this book. I wanna offer you a deal and I could give you a 10% royalty or a 5% royalty as part of the deal. And that's why I'm, you know, this initial money offers a little lower cause, uh, cause this is a royalty. Mm-hmm. So your response to that is, okay, great. Uh, before I say yes to that, I wanna know how many books you plan on printing. Mm-hmm. I wanna know your distri- distribution plan, how you plan on, on getting those distributed, what outlets they're gonna be sold at. How are you gonna track sales? Mm-hmm um and what else what else should you ask them
1: are they giving away books for promotion what are they going to do on return books do you get yeah you know are those books calculated against you book. what about books that are damaged um, i mean like it all factors and then, in. And
0: then lastly yeah,
2: what's ask the initial him, print run i mean there's a ton yeah. of stuff
0: ask them what is the and then the, the last thing or a, a part of this would be what what is the um uh is it a royalty on net or gross? Yeah.
1: And that's the biggest thing that. <laughs> yeah. The, and that what, kills. Co-
0: what constitutes net? Like, what yeah. are they going to co- charge as expenses that, that go against the what they should be paying you? Right. Yeah.
2: And what net, what net means for you guys who don't know is that net just means that w- your cut would be after the costs involved have already been mm-hmm. taken out. So if the right. book made fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but it costs forty thousand dollars to ship them everywhere, then you know you're working with ten thousand dollars that you get then five percent of.
1: Yeah, another thing is you have to in in most uh, publishing contracts they have a clause in there that says, um, you know, as an illustrator, as as the artist, you can uh, inspect the books. Mm-hmm. You know, so there, have you guys seen that in there? In your, I haven't mm-hmm. seen that one. Okay, so basically your recourse, you know, because. How do you know that the publisher is actually paying you the actual Oh, royalties? Inspect
2: the books in, in terms of the, the the record keeping. I thought you meant inspect the books that you did. I mean, oh just no like no, a, no. yeah, as far check?
1: as their their bookkeeping. Okay. And and a big publisher set up for that. I'm you might even have to get an attorney involved to do that. I mean, I like can say I, I want to come in and inspect your books. You'd have to schedule that. But if it's a self published author. What are you going to go in their kitchen and look at their on their kitchen table and like? (laughs) Well, they don't have software to track the the Mm -hmm. sales. They're not going to. I will say this: if you guys, if
2: you guys are working with somebody, I just had to do this because my tarot deck um, is partnering with somebody, and so I had to just make a separate bank account so I can have transparency Mm -hmm. and give. Here's the statements from so you can see what I spent what we made, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So they better have a plan for that, for tracking that. I've got software that does it. I've got a bank account that's dedicated. It's very specific.
1: That's that's,
0: By the way, how's your Kickstarter going now, Lee? I actually was one of the first (laughs) people.
2: Yeah, I I was one of the first people to hit a million dollars in the first week.
1: You got a Projects We Love from Kickstarter before you launched, didn't you?
2: Yeah, yeah I, it's, I did. That's I did. amazing. And a bunch okay. of celebrity endorsements started coming in, which is so weird. Like, <laughs> I mean, Beyonce loves it.
0: Speaking of endorsements, by the way, this is recorded before his podcast even launched or his uh, Kickstarter even launched. So we don't know. But um by the way, speaking of endorsements, I noticed Will always wears an Under Armour hat. You always wear a Nike hat. And I am unaffiliated at this point. So I'm wondering do I need to get an Adidas? Do I need to get a Puma <laughs> oh, to endorse what? me?
2: You didn't hear I This was on the front page But uh, me and Will are sponsored
1: Yeah <laughs>
2: We have to make Five million dollars a year From this hat I can't take it For wearing
1: that hat We well, can't take it. They actually off.
2: sewed it to my head
1: Yeah here I need to actually Tilt, tilt <laughs> it down So the little... I need to get a sponsorship
2: Yeah All right, we Look, got at, an look at this we, I'm I'm more mis- I thought you were a CC'd on that
1: <laughs> I'm more mysterious now
0: <laughs> That's hilarious Okay last question Last question Online stores. Mm. This is from Marta. Hey guys, I'm getting ready to start my online store with prints, but the shipping price, custom fees, and VAT for other continent continents I'm from the EU can make a product very expensive. Using print on demand services from companies around the world is the solution, but then I don't control the quality. Or can I customize packaging and add goodies like stickers and postcards? What are your thoughts on this? You're in a you're in a a, a tough pickle there. When you, when you use one of those print-on-demand um, services, because even with like T-shirts and and things that you know you can charge a little bit more for, the overhead on that is so high because they're they're essentially giving you. I think on a T-shirt, um, it's like at, at some of these T-shirt places you could sell the shirt. Uh, at cost where you make nothing from it for like $25. And then if you wanna make any sort of profit on that T-shirt, they'll say, okay, what do you wanna charge for this? So if you charge 30, you're gonna make $5 on a T-shirt. Charge 40, then you'll make $15, but no one's gonna buy a $40 T-shirt, right? So uh, it's the same thing with prints as well. And it's just, I look at these, unless you're able to move 100
1: prints a week, Yeah, you it's know, a volume proposition. You're not going to
0: make a ton of money
1: off of this. I'm getting ready to launch a Printify store, and mm-hmm. so I am going to use a service like that. And the Printify, main,
2: hold on, I got to look that up. Print. The, I seen that.
1: the main reason is um, for me is I don't want to touch anything. Yeah, you know, I don't want to have mm-hmm. anything to do with it. It's it's purely extra stuff going out, and um, the risk is is really low mm-hmm. and i'm setting myself up and working with a marketer to where um if it does well there will be significant additional income in the year but yeah i, I will be leaving a lot on the table if i were but you're
0: you're printing. planning
1: on spending
0: advertising money to sell these prints right? yes
1: yes that's correct right.
2: There is a way to use these services and as long not, as you know what you're getting into. Will knows exactly what he's getting into. Well,
1: I've yeah, I've made some calculations and I worked with this uh, marketer and and we we have a a plan for a year to to try to to make it work. We have a good list to work from and um, and we'll I see. Well, the, I'll ch- I'll check back in and let and you know. We'll, have I'll you checked you know. the
2: quality on that? Have you have you gotten samples? Yeah,
1: they're they're really good. Um, they're the neat thing about the. The app that I'm using is they have um, you can choose all different qualities on, let's say, on T-shirts, all different cuts. So so there is a pro, pro and con to this. And I would say that for most people using a print on demand is like, Jake, like you said, you're probably right. You're not going to make a lot of money. You know what I mean? If you sell a T-shirt mm-hmm. here and there and it, and it probably won't really significantly add to your income. However, the larger your audience gets, the more it can. And the the problem with printing up T-shirts is, um, and I found this out from our doing the comic conventions is we printed you know, a couple hundred T-shirts on on a white shirt, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, some people don't like to wear a white shirt. They want a pink shirt, or they want a yellow shirt, or they want a green shirt, or something, you know. And
0: so you've got black. all
1: those variations. You can
0: always sell black T-shirts.
1: Yeah, black. That's true. Then you've got um, you have all the different sizes, right? So mm-hmm. now, now you really only have, you know, after you go through just one color, you, you only have, um, you know, thirty or forty mediums. You're going to sell mm-hmm. out, even though you you biased it heavy on, on mediums because you think, well, I'll sell more of those and larges. You still end up with those double X's that you can't sell. You still end up with a few smalls that you can't sell, and then, um, women. Will come to you and say, "I don't like these long, baggy sleeves. You know, I want the mm-hmm. more women's women's cut. That's mm-hmm. more stylish, right? So now you have to you have to stock those. And then there's 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 a bunch of different cuts like that. And there's a bunch of different ma- shirt manufacturers that make fitted, so they're more snugly fit and not mm-hmm. not baggy. I mean, it's just and that's one of the advantages you get with going print on demand is you can have any shirt you want." In any color you want, in any material you want, and um, you can uh, the, the you can really satisfy your audience better mm-hmm. doing print on demand, but you have to move volume to make any money yep
2: I, I think I think will's exactly right, and there's a time to use the print on demand service. I mean will's exactly right with it what will's saying is you know we talk about that book um, Deep Work over and over on this podcast and Mm -hmm. opportunity costs. If I will say, and I don't want to mess with this stuff, Mm -hmm. I'm going to make a little bit of money. And and that's fantastic for giving, um, especially if you're in the early part of your career, what you want to be in is a proof of concept phase. And a lot Mm -hmm. of students don't understand this. A lot of, even professional illustrators who are now getting into merchandising may not understand. There is a period of time where your goal is to see what sells and to see what the market wants and what what the market will bear. If Will sells over the course of you know a year with this print on demand, a very consistent number of things in a certain way, then he knows. Hey, well, I may not need the print on demand. Maybe I do want to stock this stuff because I can make you know it, it, it's predictable at that point. But mm-hmm. in the beginning, you don't know which image is going to sell. You don't know what product that image is going to sell on. Is it a print? Mm-hmm. Is it a T-shirt? A yeah. hat? Um, so it's a way to test everything. And there's not a lot of people that I ever see in that proof of concept phase. But if you guys ever watch shark tank, they always say, how much money have you made so far? What, what has been your plan so far? Then they can say, Hey, this is, I made $5 million. Oh my God. Okay. So this, there is proof of your concept. Now mm-hmm. the next phase is maximizing your income.
1: Scale it. Yeah. Yeah. Can I
0: ask you, Will, um, last year do you know and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to how much mm-hmm. money you spent on advertising uh,
1: yeah okay. um, right around 50, just under $50,000 $50,000 on advertising mm-hmm. on Facebook yeah so um,
0: you that's know amazing. and and that's like that's this is a I'm just saying this is a guy who knows what he's doing with marketing and advertising and he's willing to <laughs> to put that kind of money into it to sell the amount of prints he needs to sell in order to you know justify the the markup for printerly or printism or print enabler or whatever those companies
1: are. <laughs> <Printify>. <laughs> yeah. And and it's all testing. Um you know so I'm I hope to be able to tell you that we made a profit on the the print on demand in a year. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. hope I'm I'm hoping for low end, you know, like five thousand and high end, you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I hate that question. Like how much money do you want to make? I'm all of it. Like, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) like, 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 like like what's your goal for this year? How much do you want to make with this? That's what my marketer asked me, you know,
2: Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a third option by the way. (laughs) There's, there's their print on demand. That's one option. There's buying all the stuff and stocking it in your garage. That's the other option, but there is a hybrid middle ground. And I do want to mention that. And that is uh, fulfillment centers where you've already made the whole product. So it's not print on demand. You have made a certain amount of the products, say 3,000 of Mm -hmm. 3,000 tarot decks. Now I ship those tarot decks to the, um, to the fulfillment center, or I just ship them straight there from the printer. Mm -hmm. And then those things are, are stored there. And then when I get an order in, it goes to them and they package it up and sell it. And it is a fraction of the cost, of you're not storing it at your house. They're doing all the work. So you don't see, mm-hmm. so you only see it maybe momentarily while you're shipping it to them, or you may never see it. And, uh, and you get a bigger percentage. It is the more expensive route, mm-hmm. but it's sort of this hybrid route. And so they might, they might charge, like, say you sell a $45 print, they might charge two fifty or $3 to mm-hmm. package that up and then you obviously got to pay for the package material too. So you Mm -hmm. might spend $6, but it's not the 40% or 50% that a print on demand is going to ask for. So there is a hybrid model um, that I just did want to point out there that, that, and Mm -hmm. I'm using that for my tarot deck. It's just too many. I don't want to mess with it. Like, Will. I don't want to be in my basement shipping a bunch of stuff every day. Mm -hmm. So there's that option too. There's
1: another option too. Like, so you guys both um, print, your own prints and have them shipped out. Now Jake, I know you hire an intern to mm-hmm. do do that stuff, right? And Lee who sends out your prints?
2: Uh, my my wife was doing all that stuff. I sometimes do it. I had an intern do it for a little while, but that came problematic because I just it was so variable what I was going to give them. I spent mm-hmm. more time trying to explain what I needed to be done right. than just doing it. Right. So I never right. got that and it turned
1: sort of a long-term investment.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> And that, that's, that's, that was the problem that I, I didn't want someone coming to my house. So what I did was I, I checked with the fulfillment center and I, um, I used them for, I, I used one that I would not recommend. <laughs> so I'm not going to name them, but I used, um, I used them for part of uh, my fulfillment and, on, on my book, What They Don't Teach in Art School. And then I used um, a friend who wanted to um, do it out of his home. And he set up a place in his garage that was dedicated to shipping. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's doing all kinds of shipments now. Um, and what I told him was, if you can come in at half of what the fulfillment company does and still feel like you're making enough profit, then that'll work mm-hmm. for me, you know, because then it, then it's win-win, right? Right. Yeah, and it did. So I'm saving a lot of money over using the fulfillment companies. When you like, like you do a Kickstarter and you sell ten thousand or five thousand units of something, and then you, um, you know, you're faced with this big decision: Do I want the stuff coming to my house? But if you know someone who wouldn't mind having a job at home, um, and really all they need is their computer, a scale, um, and and a, and a couple of services like ship station or something like that, you know, um, they can that's do it. They can, they can get on line and order the, uh, the boxes and the bubble wrap and the, all that yeah. good stuff. You better
2: know that they're responsible though. I mean, there's a, that's a big responsibility. It
1: is. Mm-hmm. And you have to trust them. It has to be someone that, yeah, you have to trust them.
0: All right. Should we, did we answer that question? Does I she think- know what she's going to do now? Um, with
1: her print com- with her prints <laughs> i think so what would be the number how many how many shipments would you have to make in a month before you would go to print on demand would you say
0: um before i would go to print yeah. on demand yeah oh like f- so right now for me to sell a print it's i sell them for 30 bucks okay mm-hmm. and so it's a, it's a nice large print and of that cost um I spent a dollar on the tube and five cents on the label mm-hmm. and like 25 cents on the bag that I put the print in mm-hmm. and probably the print itself, three or $4 because so the paper and the ink, five bucks maybe $5. Or something? So yeah. Um, so I, I make on that print $24. Um, if I go on print on demand, I'm, I actually make on that print five or $10, mm-hmm. um, and and that print right now, um, uh, that's why I can afford like to pay someone to be here to like do shipping once or twice a week, right? Because mm-hmm. because the overhead is a little bit better. What I also can slip into that is a postcard with us with me writing their name on it that it says thank you. Mm. Lee, thank you, Will, for doing this. So it's very personal. So they feel like they're getting something from the artist. They're mm-hmm. buying something from me. They know it was in my house. They know, you know, it was as far as a handcrafted print from a printer can be, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of right. there. Mm-hmm. And I throw in a couple extra things too, as well. And I don't know if, 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 um, you know, Society Six or, or Redbubble or whatever these, um, you know, printerlies and printisms. What if they're going to throw in the extra stuff and put in the extra little touches? They won't. Um, but I, I think when you're starting off small, investing in a nice printer and printing these things out of your house for your small fan base, um, you, you this isn't about a cash grab. This is about building a long term relationship with a fan. And so, when someone buys something from me, and it's the first time. I I look at it as like, I want them to have such a good experience buying that. And I tell my interns who do it, I like the way you package this, the way you tape it close, the way that label goes on there, whether it's crooked or straight, is all a reflex, reflection on this brand. And, and it's all a part of the experience of them getting this package. And in order for me to understand that, I went and ordered you know i spent 2 or 300 bucks just ordering stuff from different online shops to see how they did it whether it was print on demand or whether it was packaged in their thing and you know some of these did a little sketch some of them it was very sterile and it was just like you know there's no hand of the creator in it mm-hmm. and i decided to lean more towards like something that feels like like it came from a person to another person almost mm-hmm. like a gift right and my goal is that they buy one print and then next year they're gonna buy another print. And then when I launch a Kickstarter, they're gonna buy a Kickstarter book. And to grow that's yeah, a long-term from,
2: relationship.
0: Right. And to grow it from 50 people buying stuff from me in a year to someday five thousand people buying stuff for me in a year, you know? So, that, so that's what I have a that's theory my angle. That
1: if you were selling, if you worked to where you were selling a thousand a month, you would you would rent a space and hire a couple people to run it. Absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's you would, what you that's would what Jed never does, go right. You would never <laughs> go print on demand.
0: Never, no, the, the, absolutely. Like the 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 thing would be to either have a warehouse, small warehouse, or to share a warehouse with someone, and hire like two people or one person to go and, and package those up and, and 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 ship it out or move my home into a space or build a space out back that was like, Mm -hmm. that could hold all of that, all that stuff and do that thing. But
1: so now I know what you think of me.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Did it take, well, you're doing, you're doing something a little different though. You're like the books that you're selling are, are not necessarily fans of Will Terry, but more fans of, I need to i want to make a career oh, they're not buying it because will terry yeah. wrote it they're buying it because the information you're offering yeah and someone who's buying a print from me or a book from me it's like very much about the the voice and and the the, the artistic
2: so basically will's I'm, like I'm a saying. corporate faceless you're, you're,
0: well no i mean that's that's as, what the what they teach you and what they don't teach you in art school that's one side but like your prints, your little prints, that yeah. really is about like your each one of those does have the Will Terry signature in it, yeah. the voice in there, and yeah. and I think you know you might want to, I mean, see how it goes on that, uh, on on what you're doing there. Maybe it works that way. Maybe maybe you want to try it the other way.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm also not doing the fan art thing is also another component as well. I'm not selling any any fan art, so. When someone buys something from me, it's not because they love Captain America and mm-hmm. they they haven't already been marketed to for Captain America for right. forty years. Right, it's that they see a cool image and they and they want to buy. It. So it's a little bit harder, a harder game, right? So yeah. I think what what you're doing with the it's the Little Prince, right?
1: No, I'm not doing that.
0: Oh, okay. Well, what you were doing with Little Prince was right. was, um, taking the Will Terry signature look and the humor and, and applying it as a, as a, you know, a glaze over a character that you're, you're already, you already knew and you right. already kind of fell in love with. And so it was absolutely, I want to buy something from Will Terry because I've never seen the character like that before doing that thing. Right. Um, the, but the thing you're doing now is more along the side of the, what they don't teach you in art school side of branding yeah, it's, right
1: yeah is a self-help so
0: i think that yeah. that d- that is more about information and inspiration than like a cult of personality type of thing perhaps i don't know mm-hmm. perfect
2: all right let's all be right. done this is going on a little <laughs> long
0: yeah i know huh okay here we go let's wrap this up uh, all right, everybody, thank you for joining us. Three Point Perspective is made possible by SVSLearn.com, where becoming a great illustrator starts. Your hosts have been Will Terry, Lee White, and Jake Parker. You can find Will Terry at willterry.com and at willterryart on Instagram. You can find Lee White at illustration.com and at leewhiteillow on Instagram. And I'm Jake Parker at mrjakeparker.com and at Jake Parker on Instagram podcast produced by daniel 2 that's daniel T-U, C-O, at his website daniel2.co special thanks to master of production david bro keeper of the curriculum austin Shirtliff, chief operations officer lisa Fott, and a thank you to lily howell for our show notes now go draw something